On today's episode, from starring on the reality show Ready to Love on the OWN Network to preaching about self-love, Winter Patterson gets real about her journey to healing the show and how she almost gave up on her life's calling. One big uh, section of my book is you are not damaged goods. You are not damaged. You are, you know, and I had to teach myself that what I had been teaching women for years because I was like, I don't have anything to offer now. I failed. I'm not a good wife. I'm not a good teacher. Like all my my entire existence, you know, was destroyed by this divorce. And on the coach's corner, find out how a traumatic experience from your past could be affecting your future. You know, we're not broken because of things that have happened to us. We're not to blame for it. But most importantly, we're not broken and there's nothing wrong with us. And I love the National Council for Behavior Health stance. It's not what's wrong with you, but what's strong with you. Welcome to the Joy Sutton Show, where it's all about joyful conversations to inspire your life. When you show up in the world as the best version of yourself, you give other women the inspiration, courage, and permission to do the same. It's my time to take care of me. What made you think you could do it in your 50s? You know, I didn't think I could do it, to be honest with you. I was scared to death. We are all on our own journeys, but we can do this together. And there's something powerful about sharing our stories and the wisdom we've learned along the way. So let's dive into today's conversation and get to living our best lives. You have to step out on faith. You have to take the first step and go for it. There's a famous quote that says, a setback is a setup for a comeback. But sometimes the things we experience in our lives can derail us from our path and shatter our self-confidence. After going through a devastating divorce, my first guest, Winter Patterson, almost gave up on her calling in life because she didn't feel worthy anymore. But once she put into practice what she had preached to other women over the years about self-love, her purpose and mission in life became clear and new doors of opportunity began to open. She even took a bold leap of faith to find love again and joined the reality TV show, Ready to Love. If you have watched Ready to Love, she is really the star of that show. Um, who she is and how she exudes just confidence and self-love and all that she's doing, it's so inspirational. But more than that, y'all, she is an entrepreneur. She's a speaker. She's a published author. I mean, she's doing so many things. She is owning the game. So I wanted to have her on the show because she is so inspiring. So Winter, welcome to The Joy Sutton Show. Thank you so much for having me. I, As I've stated to you before, I love what you're doing. I love the fact that you have an audience that's intentional about healing, about being their best selves. And so thank you so much for having me. Yes, because when I looked at you, Winter, you know, people see your story now and they see that you've, you know, catapulted at a point in your career, you're on a reality TV show, you have your own publishing company, you're an entrepreneur, you've done so many things, but they don't really know your story and how you got there. And I think there's so much we can learn from another woman's journey about how to find our own next great thing. So take me back to when you kind of realized at the point in your life that there was something greater for you, because I thought it was really interesting that you were in banking. You yeah. know, that was the, you were a VP um, of J.P. Morgan Chase, and you probably had this moment where you're like, there's more than this. So tell me about that. You know, I, 
always knew that I wanted to um, help women in some way. I wanted to, you know, really um, speak life into people and help people live their very best lives. Um, But I just didn't know how I was going to do it. You know, so I kind of changed my ideals. I said, okay, well, I'll just break the glass ceiling. I'll just keep moving up in corporate America. And that's how, you know, I'll I'll help people. Um, And it was one day I heard a sermon that touched my heart. um, And it was talking about how we are like pearls, how God, you know, Jesus compared us to pearls and um, the beauty of us as pearls, as his creation. And so I started studying everything I could about pearls and why, you know, Jesus would use this analogy. And I came up with this beautiful story in ministry and mission about helping women to understand that our value is not changed by what we've been through. And so I started there. And I had the opportunity to preach and teach this beautiful message of healing and empowerment. And then fast forward, I ended up going through a divorce. Oh, right. While I'm teaching this information, you know, healing and, and giving this wonderful empowerment message. And I had to go back and reteach myself um, those same principles um, and really understand, you know, self-love and how to love myself after I had, you know, in my mind failed in a marriage. And so it it just continues to grow. God keeps opening, uh, enlarging my territory and allowing me to talk to so many women across the world. Own has just, you know, opened the doors even further to continue to share this message of, of healing that started, you know, a while back. Yeah. Why do you think that message is so important? I mean, I know it's important because one of the things most of us struggle with is self-love. And we go through things like you said, it's a divorce or maybe it's a failed business or maybe it's, you know, things didn't work out how you envision. And you've tied that in to your self-worth and it can be really challenging. So why do you think that we need to really get that message out there? Why is that so critical? Well, like you said, we go through things that actually challenge our beliefs about ourselves. We've all had, you know, trauma growing up, childhood trauma that we're all, you know, trying to work through. And then the biggest thing, um, Joy, that I know about self-love is it's not like a one and done thing. Mm -hmm. Like you don't get to this place where you arrive at self-confidence and you're done and you love yourself and you're great. Like, no, it is up and down. It's, you know, some days I'm, I'm feeling myself, other days I'm not. And so it is a constant process of of learning and relearning principles that help us to remember who we are in spite of the circumstances that we face on a daily basis. And you know what I love about that? Because there has to be a level of transparency among women. A lot of us are not really real about what we're going through. And I know even on the show, Ready to Love, you talked about going through a divorce and having having to heal about that, having to heal from that. Do you think transparency is a big thing that we need to be open with each other that we're struggling? Because people might see you and they're like, but she's gorgeous. She's got, you know, she looks like she has the world at her fingertips, but she may still struggle sometimes. Absolutely. No, I, I think you know, transparency is the beginning of healing, being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to say I'm hurt. You know, it's so amazing that with the show, I I literally can say that I would say 95 to 98% of the people who watch me on my journey through the show have given very, 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 very positive feedback, including you. So thank you. Mm -hmm, (laughs) Um, But I have, you know, this 5% of people that are watching like, oh, well, you know, you should be embarrassed or, or you 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 got played. And I'm like, okay, 
maybe maybe that is what it looks like. But if you are able to be transparent, you know, what's going on in your life? You know, what exactly um, that could help somebody else. For me, I'm willing to be an open book because somebody else can look at that and say, either I've been through that or no, I will not allow that to happen. Or, you know, how can I learn from this? And so that's, I think that's the beginning of your own healing and then healing other people around you by willing to be honest about it. What has been the most difficult part for you to share about your journey? You know what? At this point, I have gotten comfortable with the truth. Mm. <laughs> you know, speak on that. Speak on that. <laughs> listen, there was a time when I was very, very fearful. Um, after my divorce, I ended up, I, I changed churches. I stayed with my old church as long as I could. And God led me to a place that was a very healing place, a very healing community. Um, and my pastor, my new pastor was like, you know, there's going to come a point where you're going to need to share that story because there's other women who've been through the same thing. And I was like, yeah, no, mm -mm, mm. I'm going to do that. <laughs> I was like, like, that's not going to be me. <laughs> right. I was like, you know, if they want to know my story, then they got to be my friend. And, you know, maybe I'll share it. But like on a public platform, absolutely not. But, you know, I continue to heal. And after I healed, I spoke about it publicly and I saw how many people could relate who it may not even they don't you don't even have to have gone through a divorce, but just heartbreak from even a family girl, member and relationships, girl. And even relationships. I, yes. Even in business ventures like people can hear and, and glean wisdom from um, going through devastation no matter what they've been through. And so I did my story publicly once. And from then, you know, the first time I was able to speak about it openly and freely amongst the group, like the, the shame and the shackles fell off. I was like, no more am I going to walk around and hiding and hiding this, this story that God has given me that can heal some other people. And every time I tell my story, Joy, I heal even more. So, mm. you know, the truth is the truth. No fear in sharing what happened to me. And what was it that you think was the shame part? Was it that you felt that people would judge you or that you had been, like you said, you had this ministry platform, you're telling people about healing and it, I am Pearl, and you had written a book about this and you were like on this trajectory of, of sharing this message. What was the shame part that you felt? I think it, it was, you know, the public platform part, the fact that I'm teaching and healing and ministering and I'm standing up as a person who, you know, is teaching healing. Yet at my home, I am being torn down daily. So it was that part. But I think all women, when we go through a divorce or a major breakup, there is a sense of failure that we automatically take on often, where it's like, Maybe if I had done this, or if I had said this, or maybe if I had prayed a little harder, or maybe if I had done this, that, or the other, and we have this tendency to want to take on a lot of the responsibility, and it's not healthy. It doesn't do anything. Even if you were responsible, there's no there's no uh, benefit in carrying around guilt. There's no benefit in carrying around shame. Um, so for me, it was, you know, just kind of the natural course of things like, well, maybe I could I should have been more softer. Maybe when he said this, 
I should have responded this way, or maybe I should have seen the red flags. So I went through all of these what ifs. The fact that I I am, you know, at this time a, a minister evangelizing and I failed in my marriage, that was a big one. Um, the fact that, you know, I had this big, humongous fairy tale wedding and my gifts still have tags on them. Mm. All of those things, you know, came into play with the marriage. So, uh, or with, you know, divorce, but thank God, you know, I'm free from all that. Listen, say what you want, judge all you want. It is a part of my story and it only makes me richer, stronger, and a better teacher of these principles. Because you've been through something, exactly. And I think, but was there a time when you were going through that that you didn't know if you get back on a public platform? I know you said that your pastor encouraged you to show, share your story because I think a lot of women find themselves, they go through something, it's a failure or something happens and you're in that stuck place, right? And you're like, I've plateaued or God, do you have even something greater for me? Because I thought this was it, but now I'm in this place that I don't know anymore. Did you find yourself in that place? And how long did, what pulled you out? How long did you stay there? I was like, I'm not preaching anymore. I'm done. Whoa. I'm good. Whoa. Yeah. I was like, you know, I, I went through this thing. I said, what do I have to offer now? Isn't that crazy? Like that, that I, and, and I had to, again, reteach myself the principles that I, one big uh, section of my book is you are not damaged goods. You are not damaged. You are, you know, and, and I had to teach myself that teach what I had been teaching women for years, because I was like, I don't have anything to offer now. I failed. I'm not a good wife. I'm not a good teacher. Like all my, my entire existence, you know, was destroyed by this divorce, just being 100% honest. So it took me about a year. And, and again, I had a pastor that said, you know what, how about you just sit down and just be ministered to for a little while? How about you just, you know, don't lead any ministries, don't do anything, just, you know, kind of be in obscurity. And here's the thing about that. That was a brave thing for him because, you know, in the minister world, when you have someone like me that joins your church, it's like, Put her to work, you know, saying right, you know, right, like, exactly. But to allow you that time was huge. Yes. So he said, "Don't do anything. Just, just be." And so after about a year, year and a half, I was doing a lot of therapy during that time. Um, I was doing um, this thing called transformation prayer, which is a type of therapy that goes back to the root of issues. Mm. Um, I was doing a lot of things to figure out why I was so stuck. And after about a year and a half, God started, you know, opening doors. I got invited to lead a Bible study. And on the first day I shared my story and that's when the the floodgates opened. And I said, God, now they, you're not going to be able to stop me. I'm going to tell this story every chance I get. Mm. Um, and I'll tell you something else, Joy, that was so that's really amazing about all of this. So my marriage was one that was absolutely horrible. I ha we had infidelity. Um, there was um, a lot of emotional abuse. Um, my ex-husband just really did a lot of things that he's probably not proud of. Mm -hmm. But what he said to me, um, the one of our last conversations was, and he knew, you know, he was with me while I was ministering and teaching the book. Our last conversation was, he said, you know what? Stop protecting me. Tell this story. He said, I don't, I don't care. Wow. He said, this, he said, this story is going to heal people. You as a minister, you need this. This is going to take you to another level. He said, don't protect me. I'll be all right. 
Wow. That's deep. Yes. And I thought, you know, thank God for that. I mean, I probably would have still did it because it's my story. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to tell it anyway. But it gave you like that extra just kind of push like this is okay that this is what I meant to do next it really did and so whenever I I do do these public interviews I have no fear or no worry like oh he's gonna see this no like that was his last conversation with me like move forward tell your story and stop protecting me the world needs to hear this I love that and I think that's so powerful that the world does need to hear that because there's so many times that we go through these experiences in life and they knock us down and many people can't get back up, you know, or we think I'm not enough. And to know that you had this anointing on your life, you've been preaching, you had been changing and transforming lives. And you have this moment where you go, well, maybe I shouldn't do it anymore. Maybe this isn't meant to be. Maybe I'm not even going to preach anymore. And then to stand back up in the midst of that, to keep going and say, and to see where you are now, what does that feel like to see how God, you know, you look back now and you're like, oh my God, what if I had just stayed down and had not gotten back up and the lives I'm changing now? Do you ever think about how you, where you are now and how, if you hadn't gotten back up, the impact that would have had? I do. I wonder like if I could have even lived because this is really, I I can't explain it other than to say like, this is, this is how I, I, I live. This is where I get the the best parts of my life this is how I breathe by empowering, by, you know, uplifting and, and helping people to move to their next level. So I don't even know, like if I could have survived, you know, it was, it's almost like I would have just been stagnant, just, you know, the word I'm thinking about is atrophy, like just mm. wasting away um, because this is, the desire is so great. And it was there before my marriage, before my divorce. So how dare I think about putting it down because I went through something that that was temporary, you know, that was a very short time in my life. How dare I put down this gift, this desire, this anointing for something that lasted two and a half years? Exactly. Because you know what? When I think about it, too, is that then as you stepped up, right, you took that leap of faith to get back in there. God began to open the doors. Oh, absolutely. So. You know, and I think that is so huge because I'll find a lot of women, they're like, well, if I get back up, how do I know I'm moving in the right direction? But I love your story because as you begin to move, the doors begin to open. I remember you ended up on Steve Harvey. I mean, just all these doors started to open. Tell me how you started to notice when you took that leap and you got back up and you said, I'm going to do this because I know this is something that's been in my heart that the door started opening. When did you start to realize that? It was after, you know, I got called to teach a a woman's Bible study with a very, very diverse group of women um, who, you know, they just knew like, we want you on this team. We want you to teach and lead this first segment. So it was about eight weeks. And as I started teaching every week, I got stronger. And then I would get calls for other opportunities. Like, you know, it was like, it was like a snowball. Like once I opened my mouth, God started sending everything. It was it was like he was showing me, confirming me every step of the way. I got you. Here's another opportunity. Here's another mm. thing. Um, and so I continued to do this. And I spoke in front of women about my situation. Then my pastor says on uh, New Year's Eve night, watch night service, the whole church, mixed congregation. He says, OK, I want you to share your testimony about how, you know, God freed you um, and how you were when you got here to this church to where you are now. Right. And I froze again. I was like, wait a minute, mixed company, <laughs> wait a minute. 
You're like, hold up a minute. You sure? I know I've been doing this. I'm getting back out. I dipped a toe, but you about to make me step on in. <laughs> right. And, you know, we're streaming live. So I'm like, oh, guys. So now it's more than just my women's group. It's more than just the women that are asking me to speak. Um, and I did it. And um, again, you know, more doors just begin to open. And God gave me another book to write. I wrote the second book about praying with power. Um, and I talked about, you know, how prayer helps. Prayer is the only way I made it through after my divorce. It, it really was because even though it was a short time, um, I can't really tell you. There's no amount of time to measure the amount of devastation a woman may feel for from a divorce. Um, I don't care if you married two years or 30 years, like there is a, I mean, you can't tell somebody like, oh, well, you only married this amount of time, so you shouldn't be hurting that bad. Absolutely not. And so it was only, you know, it was only a short time, but, you know, it was such a devastating experience, but I just see how God just, God ministered to me through prayer. I committed myself to prayer every day, getting up at a certain time and really, really being very intentional about prayer. And so that book was about, not about praying. It doesn't matter how long you pray. Cause some people think like, okay, I got to well for three hours and God will hear me. <laughs> right. Cause that's not the case. Like, No, that's not the truth. It's a conversation. <laughs> right. But it's, it's absolutely. So praying with power is more about being intentional. Um, about your prayer habits. So, and, and God really, really just ministered to me in a major way by when, when I really did make prayer a number one priority for me. Mm -hmm. And then the doors, like you said, you did that, comp, you know, you got up and spoke on watch night service and then boom, snowball doors keep opening. So what, when did you realize that it was going to be even bigger than what you imagined. I know you said, you know, you thought you always had this dream, but that God was putting you on an even bigger platform, like a national platform where even more people would be seeing you. When did you realize that that's where you were headed? So there came a point, um, and that's a very good question. There came a point when I finally started to see that the church was too tight of a box for me, um, that I that's still... Good love God and I love Jesus and I love women and men and everyone that God has placed in my path. But the people, there were too many people who were not willing to go to church who were not getting my message. Um, there were people who needed this word, but they needed it in a more digestible way. Um, they needed it in a more relatable way because when I was preaching joy, you know, if you see my pictures, I got the, you know, high collar on mm -hmm. and, and the skirt down over my knees. And, and, you know, I look good. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Winter, I can tell. <laughs> but you were very conservative, probably very. Oh, my goodness. Modest. Very yes. modest. I even had I had the handkerchiefs with the bling on it and I, you know, had my handkerchief and I preached, you know, and it was such and it was so churchy. So church people loved it. They was, oh, my God, she's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, God started to show me like there is a whole world that I created that is outside of the church. And I love them just as much as the ones inside of the church. And they need this message just as bad, if not more. Um, and so I started to take, you know, the limits off of myself. I started to kind of, I started to be who I am. And I started really embracing people who are not in the church. Like, how can I make this word still keep the word, but keep it more digestible? How can I become more relatable? I like to wear shirts with my shoulders out 
And you know, I like to wear I like to wear <laughs> bandage dresses. Mm-hmm. And God still loves me, and and it may, and allows me to be more approachable to an audience who may not ever step foot in a church. And so that's when I started knew, knowing like there's a bigger platform. You cannot wait for a church to invite you to preach this message. Come on, you gotta <laughs> come on. Come on. <laughs> you gotta find you know new and innovative ways to get the word out. Like right now, I do vision board parties. People don't know. They think they're coming to do a vision board, but they getting they're getting faith. They getting self love. They getting mm. Jesus. It's it's all in there. Mm. So I thank God for for new and innovative ways to get the word out. And I know the platform is just getting bigger and bigger. And I love that because you you took off that limit. You know, sometimes we can only see inside the box we created for ourselves. But once you said, you know what? God is limitless. He has opportunities. He wants to, you know, it says your gift will make room for you and bring you before great men and women. So just being able to take that limit off of God and to be impactful has got to be life changing. What does that feel like now waking up every day, doing the vision parties, having a platform, even starting your own, you know, talk show? Uh, that you're talking about relationships and self-love on wine, wine with winter. So just starting all of that, how does that feel to you now? It feels like freedom first. That's big. Mm -hmm. It feels like freedom. Like I, I can do this in ways that allows my audience to touch me and get close to me and experience this word, this message without these very judgmental, rigid limits imposed on all of us. You know, it's freedom. I can minister and still be effective and not, you know, have to turn anybody away or make anybody feel ashamed. So I I feel empowered. I feel free. I feel like, you know, the sky is the limit. Every day I wake up like, okay, God, what are we doing? And it feels amazing. And are you now doing this completely full time? I know you were also at one point doing the banking, but is this like your full time thing to spread the word of positivity and self-love and doing the vision parties and doing your talk show? Is that your whole trajectory now or do you still have a little toe in the banking world? Well, (laughs) so I'm actually a consultant, business consultant by trade. Um, So once I left Chase Bank, I worked for the SBA as a small business consultant uh, for the Small Business Administration. Um, and so I did consulting with them for two years. Uh, and now I do consulting for myself um, as Winter Patterson, Winter Patterson Consulting. And so I get a chance to do strategic planning for businesses. And, you know, st- as I started to do strategic planning for businesses and I'm working with some of these business owners, they would tap me like, hey, can you help me with, you know, my personal life? Or can you work with mm. me on that? Um, yeah. Or people that come to the vision board parties, they say, well, how can I, you know, can would you be willing to do strategic planning for me and my life? Um, so I do do that on an hourly basis for, for personal consulting and business consulting. That is my full time job. But my absolute focus and joy is, you know, pouring into the lives of others. And I do that through the consulting, the vision board parties, the talk show and everything else that's cooking up right now. Well, I just have a few last things for you because I know I got to get into Ready to Love because people want to know about that because that was such a cool experience. First of all, how do you end up? Because many of us see, you know, people who end up on reality shows or dating shows. How did that even come about for you? It's so crazy. I'm going to tell you something I never told anybody, Joy. Okay, I feel privileged. (laughs) As crazy as this sounds, I feel like Ready to Love was made for me. 
Like, mm. you know, how do you all of a sudden get a dating show for people that are 35 and up who um, are successful black people who live in Houston? I know. <laughs> it was like dropped in your lap, right? You're like, this got to be. <laughs> <laughs> right. So they did the first two seasons in Atlanta. They came to Houston. So I had a I had a um, guy friend who actually um, got who uh, got an opportunity to be on the show. He knew some people in the network and they called him and he did an interview and they said, we're still looking for, for people on the show. And he said, you know, there's this lady named Winter Patterson that you really need to meet. And he, you know, sent them pictures. Like he really went on a campaign to get me on the show. And um, thank God for him because he got chosen and, and decided not to do it. But after that, you know, I was chosen. So he he told him, you know, you really should get this lady. So I interviewed with them. I sent them my pictures. We had great interviews. It was good, you know, movement. Everything was good. But they were dragging their feet. And so um, somewhere in that process, I ended up cutting my hair off. So, you know, I had the long blonde hair. And somewhere in that process, I cut my hair off. So I cut my hair off. And I sent him a whole new pack. And I was like, and let me reintroduce myself to you. Come on. Just in case y'all <laughs> forgot who I am. <laughs> just in case y'all forgot. Fears. <laughs> I got a call like within a couple of weeks. And they were like, we love you. We think you're awesome. Your email has, was hilarious. Because I was like, let me reintroduce myself. Um, let me let you know I'm ready to find my king. Um, and let me let you know I look good on TV if you didn't already know. <laughs> Like this lady is perfect. Like you would be perfect for the show. We want you. And the rest is history. Well, so when you finally got on that show, I know you probably had watched it before, but was it like what people are seeing? Was it what you anticipated or how is that experience? What is that like? You know what? It, I did watch the show after I got the call to interview. I went on, I binged because I was like, mm -hmm. oh my God, I had never seen it before. <laughs> So you're like, what if I got myself into? <laughs> so I binge watched all the episodes and I was like, okay, I like this. I like this. Before my second interview, I had already watched like both seasons. And I said, this is good. But, you know, our situation was unique because we are the only cast and probably will be the only ones that were locked away on this resort in a bubble, in this very sterile COVID-19 free bubble. Which was cool. I like that part of it because I've watched the show every season. So I like that element. It was pretty cool. I thought so too. Like it really added a, another element of, of just, uh, just change the whole dynamic of the show. So this was something we didn't know what to expect. They were like, okay, you're going to be somewhere in the mountains somewhere. We can't tell you where, um, you're going to be in a very <laughs> sterile place. Um, and you're going to have, you know, 10 women, 10 men, and, and, you know, you'll see what it's like when you get there. We really kind of were finding out new things every day. We filmed for sometimes 16, 17 hours a day, but I gained some really amazing friendships. So yeah, I don't think any of us knew what to expect, but it, some great things came out of it. Did you think you would find love? I mean, in the back of your mind, I know you said joy. This was kind of, I felt like for me, like I felt like God threw this opportunity in my lap. Were you at the time thinking, okay, there's a possibility? I mean, what was your mindset coming into it? I wanted to leave on the white horse. Like I wanted to leave off with, <laughs> on the back of a carriage. Like, yes, you know, Come I found <laughs> And, you know, be at parties in the future, like when people like, how did y'all meet? Well, we actually met, met on a dating show. Like, you know, I wanted that. So 
it wasn't just, you know, about the opportunity. It really was like, okay, well, maybe this is how God is going to send me my man. Okay. And I think you saw from the show, like I, I did put my heart out there. You know what? I love that you were so real, you know, and this is the thing I want to say too, because as someone who's single, you were vulnerable because a lot of times as women, when we've been wounded, going through divorce or even a bad, for me, it's been bad relationships or whatever. It's hard to be like, Hey, I like you. I'm interested and I'm open. Right. Did you even realize you were giving that message of just allowing yourself to be open? Yeah. Like that was, and I'm, thank you for recognizing that. That was, that was my thing. Like I'm going to go into this and I'm going to, you know, put my heart out there and hopefully it works for me. Um, and you know, it did in some ways and it didn't in some ways, but I had no problem when we went into confession, like, Hey, I didn't like that. Or, Hey, I felt uneasy or, you know, I didn't like when he said that, like, I didn't mind saying that because I feel like, you know, I can't be anybody but myself. Like I, I'm not, you know, one of these people that's going to act and give you something fake. Like this is me. And that actually did hurt my feelings. I did not like how I felt. And so I wanted to give, you know, the audience, you, the truth, my heart, you know? And they said, your face told it all. You know, <laughs> I remember every time they said, you look at Winter's face. She's telling what she's thinking, what is going on at the moment. <laughs> she can't hide it. It's so funny. We were filming um, and it was Rashid was like, yeah, anytime the uh, producers need to, you know, get an audience reaction or, or show what the audience is thinking, they can go right to Winter's face. Because I, cause I would be, <laughs> you will be talking, I'd be like, really? Come on. Like, mm, I don't know. Or, you know, like, it was so dramatic. And I didn't realize I was doing that until my castmates started pointing it out. Like, wow, amazing. Now, going through that, I know you had the two men that you ended up liking at the end and you ended up going with Tony, like you and Tony ended up being a match. On the day that you guys decided each other, did you think that it was going to be something long term? I mean, what was your gut feeling at that point? Like just going through it because you ended up being the like final, you know, like the final two couples. But what was your thought at that moment? I actually felt like this could be my guy. Like, you know, Anthony, Anthony has a is a very. um genuine person like Anthony is who he is you know like it ain't no putting on you know it he is who he is um there were some other guys on the show who kind of are you know hams like when the camera comes mm -hmm. on they just light up they go <laughs> you know what I'm talking about I and so <laughs> Anthony's like I'm just me this is what you're getting Anthony's like I don't put on airs like hey I am who I am. So I thought it, I really did think it could be something good. The day we left, so we flew out the next day after that scene where we chose each other and we rode off on the boat with Calfani and, and Adriana. Um, we were all in the airport together going back to Houston. And you should have saw us. We holding hands. We all oh, get it. Y'all are. Oh. <laughs> I wish they were showed that. They need to give a cam, like a couple's cam after, so you can kind of see. They should. Like, we walking through the airport all giddy, and then we were, you know, playing with Adriana and Calfani. Like, I think we all kind of, you know, felt like this could be something. Um, and then, you know, you get back home and reality hits, and it just, it wasn't you know, what, what, what worked for, for me or maybe for 
am. I, I don't know. Was that difficult? Or did you say, did you go in saying, hey, I knew I wanted to find the right person and this was still such a great experience and you learned things about yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. So it wasn't devastating. And then you got to remember, like, come, I didn't been through some stuff. So this You're was like, more this like, is uh, minor. <laughs> right. Like, okay, <laughs> hey, it would have been nice. It didn't work. But let's 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 at least find some way to still be friends through this. And, and we are like, we're still cool. Um, you know, no hard feelings at all. So when you watch it back, is there anything you would have changed or anything that you saw or what was your reaction? Because I know you guys are taping it and you don't know. And I saw your conversation with Adriana on live and y'all kind of talked about this a little bit, but you don't really know what they are going to pick. But what was it like watching it back? And do you think, huh, maybe I would have done this different? Or did you feel like your experience is what you wanted it to be? Well, you know what? I said it before and I feel like, you know, hindsight I wouldn't have given Jay as much time as I did. Mm. Just being completely honest. And that's why a lot of the men had kind of started backing off like, oh, well, maybe that's something, you know, or she seems to be really into into him. So, you know, I'll kind of move away. Um, so I think going back, I, I would not have given Jay that amount of time. I would have took a lot of things that I ignored at face value, um, being completely honest. And, you know, watching it is like, it, it is trauma. And I, that's the only <laughs> way I can describe Like, it is so crazy because we would go, I would watch the show and I would end up angry all over again. Like I'm re-experiencing. It's like reliving it. Absolutely. Oh. And I'm feeling exactly what I felt in that moment. Plus I'm mad at the editors because I'm like, why didn't you show the rest of this conversation? Why do y'all have, have me on here looking crazy? Like when, when y'all know what happened. So it was difficult. And then, you know, I'm going to just give you this one for free, Joy. You know, <laughs> this for free. <laughs> <laughs> I would give you this for free. And then watching, you know, the the um when they showed the behind the scenes reveal at the reunion. Like the rooms, you mean going back and forth to the rooms? Is that the part well, you're meaning? Not just that, but just even the conversations that Jay was having and how I kept every day, I would say, Jay, just go do what you're doing. Hey, just, you know, hey, I see y'all got something. You I see there's some interest there. Why don't you go do that? And and I like that they showed that. I felt mm -hmm. vindicated, even the going to the rooms, like, so you guys could see, like, it wasn't me just, you know, like I'm chasing him and I'm throwing myself in his feet. That was not the case at all. Yeah, I was more like, okay. like, how did you get these feelings? You know, cause they, the way it was edited, cause I was like, wow, she seems really, you know, when you guys had that time and you're having, and he, you went to ask him about the kiss, it seemed like, whoa, but then looking back at how he was doing things. I was like, oh, what's up? So he was like making you feel to some extent like there's something there. This is special. Absolutely. At the same time, like Joy. Hello, Joy. I love her name. But anyway, Joy. <laughs> Hello, Joy. You know, like you're my number one. So it was it was vindicating for me. And, you know, people are like, well, were you ashamed? Like, no, because everybody was going to everybody's room. Like, don't. <laughs> like, please don't believe that I was the only one. And I didn't feel any any shame because I know, you know, nothing happened. It was just what it was. Like, that was the only time. Our, we filmed until 1.30 a.m. After 1.30, it was, everybody was room to room. Like, okay, let's just go, you know, let's go and talk about, let's go unpack the day, you know, at some extent. Um, so I didn't feel ashamed. I felt vindicated. Like, yep, show them. So y'all can stop thinking I'm the crazy one. Like, <laughs> 
But I always, even still, even in seeing that, I still felt like you were so genuine and I still felt like you were open. And I love that because like I said, so many times we've been hurt and we're not open and you were you and it shined through, through the cameras. And it, it was enough that out of everybody, you were the only person that I said, I woke up on a Saturday morning and I was, I think I had watched something that you did. And I was like, she inspires me. She, there's something about her. And I just want to reach out. And I was like, Lord, I'm just going to send her this message. It said, if she, I'm not, if she says no, it's okay. But she, I just want to share her story. So in closing, I just feel like you are such a wealth of like information and just so transparent. If there were any words that you would leave to a woman who's listened to your story, seen where you are, and what you've been through and where you are now. And the sky's the limit. Because I, I forgot to ask you what's next for you. But the sky's the limit. But what would you say to that woman who's feeling like, is there greater for me? I would tell any woman or I would help. I would remind them that you are beautiful. You're valuable. You, The fact that you are here says that you are a miracle. Because there are millions of people who did not make it to, to the age that you're at now in 2021. Um, and I would just remind you that nothing that you have done changes your value. Nothing that has been done to you changes your value. Um, you still can go on and do amazing things. Um, I would advise you to take the limits off God. Ask him to heal any areas of guilt or shame or, or areas where you're afraid to step out. Because as you said, Joy, the sky is the limit. God can use you in amazing ways if you will allow him to heal your pain. And there are people like Joy Sutton, like myself, who will help walk you through that process. Um, if you're willing to be vulnerable, transparent, deal with those issues, God can take that and do amazing things with it. I love it. So what is next for you? Miss Winter. I know you got a lot of things in the works. We have the TV show Wine with Winter. You have your vision board parties that you've been doing in Houston and other locations. Um, so what's next for you? What do you see next for you and how can we support you? So um, I'm continuing on with Wine with Winter. So you'll see me continue to, to do to interview some of my castmates, some other you know well-known people all over the world. You'll see me doing that. I'm praying and hoping that we that the world opens up again. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I'm a type of person I like to be up close and personal. Like I like to feel the energy of the people that I'm ministering to. And for you guys to experience me so you can feel my energy um, and we can, you know, feed off of and heal each other. So you'll probably see me um, getting around to more cities, more um, conferences, more opportunities um, to share this wealth of knowledge with women who want to uh, exceed in their personal life and their business life. So I'm working on that. And um, what else? No more dating reality shows. No more dating reality. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm on, on, they call you and say, you want to come back. You know how sometimes shows do that. Like everybody that was on past seasons come back together. You're like, you're done with it. <laughs> like a ready to love all stars. No, yeah. I would be walking around the whole time. Like <laughs> I see that. <laughs> It would not be fun to watch because I'll be looking at everybody crazy the second time around. Like, mm -mm, no, you lying. You lying. So, but are you still? I know, of course, you're still open to love. But is there anybody special in your life, or where do you see yourself even in? You know, finding that Mister Right or the one that got here for you. I have not. I'm not dating anyone. I'm not seeing anyone. I am. You know what? Listen, it's 
I'm not seeing anyone. Y'all pray. Pray. <laughs> I'm praying for myself too, girl. <laughs> I'm going to add you to my list. I'm be like, all of them, you know, come on. Yes, Lord, you know. <laughs> what I'm I'm finding is, you, you see, nobody from my cast found love. Right. Uh, unfortunately. But I think uh, we're all collect we're all healing from the trauma of what we went through you know like we are um nobody is really dating or any in anything serious except i think calfani but um because we are all you know trying to heal and, and you know re you know get our lives in order after such a a very life changing experience that we all went through it's for some of us heartbreak, you know, yeah. going through the isn't, you know, relationships are difficult and to have to go through that and then it didn't work. And then y'all got to still see each other because you're promoting and then you can't say you're not together. And then, you know, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so you can't be like, we're not together. And then you got to act nice on you see him on social. And so I can only imagine all of that. But, you know, it has been a blessing to be able to have you on the show, Winter, and to share your story. You have been absolutely delightful. And if the world opens, no, let me not say if, when the world work opens back up, I hope to one day make it to one of your vision parties and I'll walk in and be like, hello, it is Joy Sutton. I have been blessed <laughs> to meet you in person. Yes. So thanks again for coming on the show. I wish you the best in love and all that you're doing. And I know because God is at the center of it, it is going to be blessed. What really struck me about Winter's story is how close she was to giving up on her destiny. And I wonder how many of us are not living out our dreams because of an experience from our past that made us feel unworthy, unlovable, or simply not enough. I truthfully have been there in my own life and I too have been close to giving up on my dreams, but God, <laughs> my hope for you today is you don't let anything rob you of your future. If you'd like to learn more about Winter, check out the show notes. As she mentioned, she also has her own show, Wine with Winter, on Miko TV. Stay with us. The Coach's Corner is up next, and we're unpacking the past to help you excel in the future. Looking for a female voiceover talent for your next commercial or video project? Monica Brooks is your girl. She's a morning show personality with 12 plus years of radio and commercial experience. Monica specializes in captivating and engaging your audience with her voice to help take your project to the next level. Take a listen to a sample of her work. It's new, nice and easy color blend foam permanent color with tones and highlights. Now in a delightful foam, just three shakes. Foam it, love it, nice and easy color blend foam. Your right color in a foam. It's foamtastic. Monica offers reasonable prices for top-notch work. To book Monica for your next project, check out the show notes or email her at k92monicabrooks at gmail or call 540-293-2008. On the Coach's Corner, could an experience from your past be sabotaging your future and impacting your health? I sat down with Anawa Miller, a certified trauma recovery coach and a certified health coach, to talk about the effects of trauma on our lives. After years in the health and wellness industry, including working as an assistant trainer for the WNBA, she made a startling discovery that led her to launch Abound Health and Wholeness Services to help people find healing from their past. Take a listen to the conversation. So how did you get into wanting to be 
a trauma recovery coach. How did you find that path and realizing this was something that so many people struggled with? Right. So I've been in the health and wellness industry for 25 years and I was doing some work with childhood obesity prevention and learned about ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. And it was a Kaiser Permanente study. It was actually a weight loss study. But what they were finding is that trauma was at the core of preventing women from maintaining weight loss. And so what they were finding is that as research went on, 75% of chronic diseases were related to ACEs, again, the adverse childhood experiences. And a light bulb went off for me. I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, cultural um, trauma as well, and also a lupus survivor, 32 years lupus survivor. And so it sent off all of these flags for me. And again, I've been in the health and wellness industry and sports industry for 25 years. And that was the key that I needed to unlock what my passion truly was. I knew I wanted to help people walk in wholeness, walk in healing and get to the highest level of self. But to understand that one component was just like everything to me. And so I began to research trauma more and and found the International Association of Trauma Recovery Coaches and pursued that certification. And it just opened up so many things to understand how the nervous system, it is a physical response to what I have now defined trauma as for myself, an indictment to our safety. In so many areas, whatever it is, it's an indictment to our safety. And it causes a physical, physiological, neurological, neurobiological, psychological response that imprints on our bodies. And whether it's historic trauma, intergenerational trauma, interpersonal trauma, all of those traumas are indictments to our safety. So that has just really opened the door for me to understand how our bodies work, how our emotions work, how our whole life experience ties into our response to life. Wow. You know what? That is like so deep when you really think about it, because there are so many of us walking around every day, not even realizing that something we experienced in our childhood or something that we experienced during our lifetime has had not only a mental effect on us, but a physical effect on our bodies. And even the linking of that to obesity, you know, that is huge and other chronic diseases. So what was it about it that was so fascinating for you? How our body, even the inflammatory response that happens and hormonal responses with cortisol, the stress hormone. And when our bodies stay at this chronic state of fight or flight or fawn or freeze, our bodies are responding to that. And so like high blood pressure, when we stay at the the chronic stress state, our bodies adjust and they give us biofeedback constantly and warnings, but we are sometimes we don't have the language to put around our experience, don't understand that that there was an indictment to our safety. How would I know if I had this childhood adverse experience or something that I'm going through in my life is actually a trauma experience for me? It's opening up conversation and you know, that's one thing that as trauma recovery coaches, we do, we come alongside our clients. 
We don't provide therapy or diagnosis, but we help bring the language and the education to what actually happened and is what is going on in a person's mind, body, and and spirit and soul. Like we are able to walk with them through that process of discovery and find some coping mechanisms to understand what our body does to those triggers. And we don't want anybody to relive the trauma. We absolutely don't want to do that, but it, it is coming to an understanding. We do these genograms to actually understand intergenerational trauma too, because trauma can actually imprint our DNA and that's, it's passed down. Yes. It can alter DNA and it's scientifically proven that that, that is what's happening and what has happened oftentimes. That is deep. So when we're talking about the different types of trauma, what are the different types? I know you kind of mentioned it like generational or intergenerational. What are some of the types of trauma that can impact us? So when you look at historical trauma, um, I am part Native American and it is, there's a lot of research. Um, There's a Dr. Um, Begay at University of Arizona who has done a significant amount of research and work on the impact of historical trauma in the Native American communities. And it is the effects of oppression, of stripping of culture. And that's not only happening in the Native American communities and the indigenous First Nations communities, but it imprints and that stripping of identity, the stripping of resources, of food sources, of land, you know, um, being displaced from, from original land. And so that is historical trauma. And so, you know, we're seeing it even appear now, you know, with COVID. Generations down the line. Yes. Thousands and hundreds of years of impact that's happening. And then you see the high levels of diabetes, of alcoholism, of continued chronic disease. And a lot of it has to do with the historical trauma that was placed there and the removal of, you know, from our lands and the placement in um, boarding schools. And just that's historical that, you know, things that aren't readily talked about, that is historical trauma. And so then the interpersonal trauma is a trauma that happens between two people. You know, there, there may be a, a moral um, abuse that happens and a moral injury that happens from a trusted person or anybody, you know, upon another person or persons. And then there is environmental trauma as well. So that may be like, you know, a, a hurricane or a flood, things that nobody's fault, but it happens to an entire community or entire region where you're displaced from your home, your resources, your um, health is, is threatened. Again, all in an indictment to safety, to safety. And then there could be medical trauma where there is a diagnosis or an accident or something that is an imminent danger to, to your life. And uh, intergenerational trauma where there may be thoughts or family mottos that are passed down over and over and over again that, you know, men don't cry or suck it up. And, you know, all of these things that don't allow us to explore emotion or um, discipline approaches that are are passed down that can create trauma as well. Wow. So there are all these different factors. And I love how you broke that down 
of trauma, you know, some things that we weren't directly even realizing that were impacted from a historical trauma to, you said, even things passed down through our families. So is there a wake up call or something that would alert somebody that maybe I have trauma or have experienced one of these types of trauma that I need to deal with? Body. Your body. Yeah. Your body is your number one biofeedback system, whether it's headache, whether it's tension in your shoulders, whether it's, you know, upset stomach, irritable syndrome, you know, those things get locked up in our guts. You know, that's our, our, one of our brains, you know, our guts is our, is one of our response systems. And that's where, you know, the acid produces and, you know, the stress hormones begin to um, happen. And when our nervous system is activated in that fight or flight, the digestive process will slow down. Mm-hmm. And so there are so many signals that the body tells us about. We might just think it's always oh, just an upset stomach or even with children that complain of stomach aches a lot. And there's no apparent reason, but there's some anxiety. There may be some abuse going on at home. They don't have the words to articulate what's happening. But that is something in in trauma-informed schools to be aware of. You know, what are these children actually displaying um, that could be trauma responses? But you know what? I love that, Anawa, because so many women you know, maybe it's they're struggling with being overweight. Maybe they're struggling with headaches or different things that high blood pressure, diabetes, all of these things, and never really equating that specifically to maybe that's a trauma that happened in my life that I haven't even processed. Because I guess that's the big thing, because if you have this unresolved or un- you know, tapped into trauma that you haven't processed, then this is the manifestation of it. And our bodies, it's amazing that our bodies are like, hey, 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 something is going on here. You need to sit down. You need to talk to somebody. You need to deal with that. So what does that process look like when you're trying to work with someone as a trauma recovery coach? What is that process that you're kind of walking them through to deal with that? And is it something that you can get past? It, it is. Recovery is possible. And in the trauma recovery field, that is what we say. Recovery is possible. I'm also a certified mental health first aid instructor under the National Council of Behavior Health. And that too is our messaging. Recovery is possible and early intervention is so critical. And having that one person that you, we can go talk to is like the number one protective factor in intervening with mental health crisis. And so it is absolutely necessary for all of us to understand that we're not broken. You know, we're not broken because of things that have happened to us. We're not to blame for it. But most importantly, we're not broken and there's nothing wrong with us. And I love the National Council for Behavior Health stance. It's not what's wrong with you, but what's strong with you. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. It's what's strong. And so, again, walking beside someone to, to pull out their strengths and, and to diminish and absolutely deconstruct the lies that shame and abuse and blame bring associated with trauma or that I'm not good enough 
a lot of times that's that's what we develop is that I'm not good enough because I feel broken. I am damaged and we can work through it. Absolutely work through it and recovery is possible. That rewiring, we can, our the neuroplasticity of the brain where we are able to make new connections and the neurons firing together, you know, they're able to reconnect and develop some more cognitive thoughts and cognitive connections. It's, it's, I love the science behind it. I'm a nerd. And I mean, it it's so deep, but it's so good because as I'm listening to you talk, so what you're saying, if I'm understanding you correctly, Anawa, is that if you can help someone process this, rechange their thinking and their mindset around it, that often the other health conditions or things that are associated with they can be resolved or dealt dealt with. Is that correct? Is that how you're looking at that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because our bodies will go into this inflammatory response, as, as I mentioned earlier, because of the stress hormones that are happening in our bodies, that are elevated in our bodies. And so inflammation, you know, it makes us hot and makes us swollen and is painful, but that is also a trauma response. I think that's huge because for you, as someone who'd been a person, you know, working in the health and wellness space for 25 years and to now get this missing piece of the puzzle, what was that like? Because I know you had trained people before, tried to help them on the path of health and wellness, but then to realize there was this whole other area that had been tapped. What was that like for you? The world opened up. You know, so much. It was a, a missing, just that missing link to understand, you know, you can get on the trail mill, you can lose weight, you can, but if you don't fix the inside, if you don't fix the, what got you there, you know, the, the residual emotional scarring um, is oftentimes those things that go unresolved and still eat away at us mm-hmm. and continue to um, become deteriorating. And if you don't deal with it, I imagine it only continues to get worse and you don't even realize just the toll and even potentially impacting, you know, how long you live because of something that in your life was not dealt with. Again, so many of us have, um, don't have the language. I know that I did not have a lot of the language to understand what I was going through, that it was safety issues, that it was, you know, um, indictments to my safety and coming face to face with some of those things again and again and again. It's like, now I understand that it was an indictment to my safety when my body would have those responses. So how did you even begin this journey for yourself? Were there things that were happening in your life um, physically that let you know something was going on that you maybe hadn't dealt with in your life? How did this show up for you? That's a very good question. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so I, I work with an alternative health practitioner and he would ask me sp- specific questions. He's like, are you angry? And I'm like, no, or anxious or whatever. So those were things that were showing up for me. And then, so I had an outside reference to, to make me, help me to start be, become aware of how emotions seat. In, in the body and in different places in different regions of the body and began to research that as well. And so, um, yeah, my whole left side of my body would swell up, um, my knees, my joints, um, migraine, headaches, 
um, kidney responses, heart responses, like all these things would show up in my body. I had no way to correlate all of them. And when I was younger at 12, the doctors had no idea. You know, I had wrist splints and sometimes walked with a cane in college because my knees would hurt so bad and other days I would be okay. And so I know there's a lot of talk about how autoimmune diseases are silent diseases because a person looks okay on the outside, but there's turmoil and pain going on in the inside that we just don't talk about and can't put into words. And we just have to um, kind of hide away until the pain goes away. So all of those things just kind of manifest in the body. And then you feel like, okay, what's wrong with me? Nobody can figure this out. And then you start to wonder, you know, just lots of different questions. And it's amazing because being your friend, I had no idea all of the things that you had gone through that were trauma experiences for you, you know, dealing with childhood sexual trauma, which you've, you know, openly um, discussed about, then having lupus or being diagnosed with lupus at the age of 12. You're talking about an autoimmune disease and then dealing with four enduring four miscarriages. So a lot of trauma just on your own self. And so did it get to a breaking point for you when you had to look back at all of those things? Or was it something you started to unpack throughout your life? When I heard that ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, are correlated with 75% of chronic disease, including autoimmune diseases, when I heard that, it connected everything for me. And then the moment I heard that, and I was like, wow. So not only did I, you know, professionally get a huge piece of information that was important to the work I do, but personally. And I had started probably when I was 26 was the first time I told my mother about what happened. And she too had endured a horrific childhood that she was open about with, with me. And, you know, as I told her about it and... I was doing a women's conference, as a matter of fact, and I was like, you know what, I need to tell you this just in case it comes out on the platform. And the more I talked about it, the more I became honest with my own story and comfortable with my own story, the more, I, again, the more I talk about it, the lighter the load becomes. It's just keeping those secrets. And that's, that's what you heard. I was trying to get the, the name of the book, The Body Keeps Score is a powerful book that it really identifies what happens in the body. Again, I talked about the, the nervous system function and how that imprints, you know, trauma imprints on the body and on the nervous system. Wow. So your body is keeping score of all of those traumas that have happened along the way. And even though you may not consciously always be connected to it in that moment, your body is not forgetting. And there's a... a Piece that happens called disassociation, where we disassociate from our bodies, and we that mind body connection disconnects, and we are not present in our body. And oftentimes, that's how you know our body is telling us these things, but we are disassociating from it. We disassociate from our image, from our physical connection, from that mental, you know, mind body spirit connection. So it happens. Is that a, like a survival technique? It is. That the it body is. does? So when you go through some type of trauma? It's a maladaptive coping mechanism is what it's called. And so that's how 
a lot of times we find ourselves in situations in our bodies, maybe it's weight or whatever the situation is, where there's a disconnect because we've lost touch with that part of ourselves as a way of coping with some trauma that happened to us. Quite often what happens there. Whoa, girl, that is speaking <laughs> to me. I'm serious because like even as I'm like listening to you talk, I think, you know, there was a point in my life where I had struggle and still struggle, you know, in getting con- with my weight. I've been working on it and things like that. But I had that disconnection. Like I didn't see myself as what was really going on. And I would look in the mirror and I go, when did this happen? But there had to be like, you make me think, okay, was there some trauma that happened? Maybe it was in college or some experience that I had that there was a separation of me not being present in my body to even realize the warning signs and the feedback that it was giving me. This is what happens oftentimes. This is what happens with our trauma response or um, we turn to addictions or even in being a workaholic, it doesn't have to be a, a, a product consumption but there is something that will take, we allow to occupy that space so that we don't have to connect. Mm. And so are you able to, most of the time when you're working with someone, if they don't even know what that trauma is, say it's like myself and I'm like, I know there was a time where I struggled with, you know, when I talked about the weight. Now, is there a way to go back and figure that out? Because if I've disassociated myself from my body, to some extent, and I'm not paying attention. Now I am, girl, I'm paying attention. Like I'm reconnecting. But how could I figure out, It can you go back and figure out, was that a historical trauma? Was that, you know, an interpersonal trauma? Was that one of the other traumas that you discussed? It, can you figure that out? Is there a way to figure that out? You can. And through coaching, we ask those questions. And again, there's no diagnosis, there's no therapy, but it is coaching. So it helps that motivational interviewing and, and that whole um, deep questioning and leading the client to their own answers is very important. We totally say every individual is the expert of their own lives and their own process. And so we give them that power and that voice. How transformational has this been for people that you've worked with or even just for your own self, being able to go back and deal with that trauma What has been that transformation? Again, it's empowering. You're able to say, okay, this is what happened. This is how I deal with it. This is how I don't want to respond to it anymore. You know, when we're able to track that body response and then say, okay, I understand this is how my body responds to this. This is how my mouth, this is how my voice shuts down or this is how um, things manifest, you know, in my world then I'm able to then create the coping strategies to kind of counter those things. And that is absolutely transformational. So we use all kinds of methods to, to approach it and whatever works for them to manage and to balance. And even, you know, procrastination and perfectionism are also symptoms of trauma. Mm-hmm. And I know for me, that was big. That was very big and and debunking that I'm not enough myth. That that could be connected to the trauma. You know, which is really interesting because I was watching this particular reality show 
And the woman on there was going through therapy and realized that because her father wasn't in her life and some things that she was going through, that she became a workaholic, like that, that she put all of herself into her career. Not even, I don't know if she consciously realized, like you said, that that was connected to a trauma. And that can be deep for a lot of people because there's probably a woman who's listening to the show right now and going, oh, my God, maybe it's a weight issue she's dealt with. Maybe it's anxiety that she's noticed, but maybe it's a body betrayal, as you said, or maybe it's she's thrown herself so much into her work and she's working so hard and having to feel like this. I have to be perfect, not even knowing the connection. That is major. And we put so much. So then it becomes compounding. You know, the stress of it becomes compounding. It becomes a vicious cycle that we just stay on that hamster wheel because we're not dealing with the root of it and the initial trauma. The anchor is actually called the anchor trauma and is the, that one that anchors our, our stress response, that anchors our life response. And then as we heal through that cycle and or we come across something that is similar or elicits that same type trauma response, we go back to that anchor response again. That's so good. So you're saying that there's like this initial trauma that can happen in your life. And then these other traumas just add to that. And it's this compounding effect. And so you got to go back and deal and process and heal from that initial trauma. And as you do, it opens the door for you to deal with that, what else has been going on in your life. Because that's where we develop our coping mechanisms too. And so once we learn particular coping mechanisms, we tend to address all the rest of the coping, all of the rest of the traumas or the stressors with those same coping mechanisms, whether they're adaptive or maladaptive, you know, good for us or bad for us, you know, um, or dangerous, you know, that will also elicit an indictment to our safety. And I know you said through this process, you don't make them relive it. But is there a part of it that's painful to have to to process it? Because I know you said there's not a reliving, but I'm just thinking having to go back. Can that be painful for some people? Absolutely. And, and oftentimes it's painful, but it's healing at the same time. We have to sit with our clients in a, a safe place, in a trusted space for them to go through those emotions, you know, it's for them to unpack what it really feels like and things that have been bottled up for so long and don't know how to express it. And I, I love the term emotional intelligence because there's so few oftentimes words in our vocabulary, in our emotional vocabulary that, you know, we think it's only joy, happiness, sadness, and anger. But there's, there's a gamut and even anger oftentimes is rooted in fear. And so what, it, what elicits that fear and it's an indictment to our safety. Okay. So how, what was the initial indictment to our safety? Girl, I feel like I'm in a session right now. I mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> honestly, because, you know, as you're thinking about it and processing all of that and getting to the place of dealing with that, you know, that anchor trauma, that could be something in your childhood that you put in the back of your mind that you didn't even think about that has impacted you, you know, for years to come. And one of the things I think was so powerful that this can happen to anyone. I know you said you were working with the WNBA, right? And you started to see things. What did you see even in those women who would reach, you know, what you would think the height of 
their career and of success. I was an assistant trainer in the WNBA in the two inaugural seasons, 97 and 98. And it was also the time of the NBA lockout. And so I saw a lot of elite athletes unsure about their future. And, you know, to reach this status, to understand that these were Hall of Famers, you know, on both sides, men's and women's, and just elite athletes at the top of their game, but they were still missing, you know, things. And, and at that time, most of my career was centered around sports. And I had, you know, started doing research on the self-efficacy and, you know, self-esteem and all of these things of athletes and how the goal of eliteness was actually triggering, you know, and, and not making it or having to um, still deal with life. And then, and that they became real people to me, you know, I, they, they were, but I, I understood it at a different level and where I, because of some of my things that I went through, like women were mean to me growing up, the girls and women I fought and, you know, had to, you know, get off the bus and there's 10 girls waiting for me and, you know, an hour after school. And it's like, uh, you know, I didn't want to deal with females, you know? And so, you know, I found myself literally at the feet, you know, taping ankles and all of this stuff. And my heart shifted, you know, to the plight of women. And so I was like, okay, we all have pain. We all have issues, no matter where in life or society or the, um, you know, climbing the ladder of eliteness, we all have something on the inside that we need help with, that we need to get out, we need to express, and we need um, a listening ear. That is, girl, that is so good. And so if there was a woman who is listening now and she's hearing all of this, what would be, what would you say to her? She's hearing all this and something that you have said, Anawa, has hit her. You know, it struck a chord or, or there was a light bulb that went off. What would you say to that woman? You are more than enough and you're not broken. And recovery is possible. Healing is possible. Change is possible. Life is possible. My conversation with Anawa touched me in a way I had not expected. I left that conversation emotional. I literally spent several minutes crying. It was so therapeutic and I realized that there were some experiences in my life that had impacted me more than I realized. I tell y'all, almost every guest who comes on my show, I feel like I need their services and that is real talk. But if you wanna connect with Anawa Miller to learn more about her coaching services, check out the show notes or check out her website at abound.life. And that's gonna do it for another episode of The Joy Sutton Show. Thank you for listening. Please join me on Facebook and Instagram to continue the conversation. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. But most importantly, remember, this is your time to shine. Shine.